Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of the Kingston Unitarian Fellowship, located in Southeast Ontario. Unitarian Universalism is a progressive free faith grounded in the promises of community and inspired by how we hold our shared faith's principles and sources. For more information about Canadian Unitarianism, please go to our website, kuf.ca, and our national website, cuc.ca. fellow travelers, and thank you for being here today. It may not come as a surprise to you that each congregation that I have visited in my work is a bit different from the others. We have no standard liturgy, though there's common forms. Most do use the Grey Book that we just read from. Our worship and our our organizational structure is somewhat different in each congregation. Some Canadian congregations are vital and growing, and others are tired and weak. Some of our congregations are very tiny, fewer than 10 people. Others are new, some are old, some are large. There's a great variety amongst and between our congregations. Most Canadian congregations were founded as Unitarian congregations, though there are exceptions. Halifax, North Hatley, Quebec, and Olinda, out by Windsor, Ontario, were founded as universalist congregations. Theologically, geographically, organizationally, we are a diverse group of people. But in other ways, we're really not so different. We love our congregations. We want them to thrive. We want them to thrive because we know that what we do here and in other congregations, we know that it matters. We gather so that the atheist and agnostic and mystic and pagan and the unsure can come together and learn from one another. We come together in communities not united, as was said earlier, by dogma, but I think rather by a hope for what human community might look like. We come with open minds and open hearts and with brimming and broken hearts so that we can be assured we are not alone. We like to describe ours as a living tradition, singing the living tradition. Edmund Burke, who was an 18th century British parliamentarian, said that a tradition could only be described as a living one if it is a partnership between those who are dead, those who are living, and those who are yet born. That means that it adjusts to new circumstances and environments and times. It does not stay the same because that's the way we've always done it. Nor does it follow the fancy of a popular whim. In this morning's responsive reading, the one we just read, we read, love like a carefully loaded ship crosses the gulf between the generations. Part of being a living tradition involves us being travelers from what was through what is towards what might be. This traveling is a complicated business, though. Any of you who've ever gone on a trip know that. We have to ask, where are we traveling from? Where are we now? What do we know about our destination? 
How shall we equip our ship so that we're best able to make the journey? So where are we traveling from anyway? Unitarianism formally came to Canada in 1832 in Montreal. Universalism came earlier, and one of our existing congregations, Halifax, was founded in 1837. The congregation was founded, but there were universalist preaching, um, sort of circuit preaching was going on in advance of that. And they founded amid protest in the press about the dangerous notions of a loving God and universalist salvation. The local press had a lot to say about those universalists. <laughs> and they founded a congregation that still exists today. Here in eastern Ontario, in Picton, in Belleville, and in Bloomfield, as early as 1844, there were universalist meetings led by those who were doing mission work in Canada West. Their controversial belief in a loving God who would dare to admit, their critics said, all his children to heaven did not take a lasting hold here. And it was more than 100 years later that this Unitarian congregation was founded in 1954. The early group here of the existing congregations formed, at least in part, I think, as many congregations in that time did, because those early families valued liberal religious education for their children. The group had, as all congregations do, challenges. Finding space, meeting budgets, dealing with theological differences, and yet it persevered, and we're here today. For a long time, membership numbers remained static, about 50. And then in the late 90s, with grants from the Unitarian Universalist Association, you began for the first time working with your own minister. Since then, the congregation has grown and changed, and you've become the congregation I see here today. In Canada, generally, between 45 and 61, it was a time of really socially mandated church attendance. If you didn't go to church on Sunday, your neighbors looked at you with some suspicion. So during that period, there were 16 new Unitarian congregations created in Canada. And like here, I've learned that the founders felt the need to belong to a congregation that gave them freedom of belief. If they had to go to church in order to not um, get, garner the, the suspicion of their neighbors, they needed to go to one that worked for them. Most of the congregations that founded during that time could have been described as Unitarian humanist. During the late 50s and the heady 60s, many of our church schools were brimming. There was a waiting list to register your children at Toronto First. They had over 300 children registered in their religious education program. Unitarians in that period were at the forefront on Canadian discussion, debate, and action on issues such as the death penalty, health care, women's issues, religion in schools, and the civil rights struggle we witnessed on television. Many of our ministers, Canadian and American, uh, answered the call to Selma when King made that call. In the years since the mid-60s, we have seen new UU congregations. We've seen some disband. Our congregations and members have been and are in the struggle for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender rights. They've considered how they can better respect the earth, how to promote a culture of peace, how to address pervasive poverty, how to drink from the well of the world's religions in a respectful way, 
Currently in Canada, there are approximately 4,500 members in 46 congregations. Each of those congregations is self-governing, making its own decisions about ministers, programs, property. Since 1961, and more notably since 2002, the Canadian Unitarian Council, which is an organization of member congregations, it has been providing connections and support. The Canadian Unitarian Council is not a governing body, but an organization that works at the behest of the member congregations. Our council works on our behalf, supporting congregations, providing a public voice, representing our values in the larger community. I'm always moved when I remember that this way of connecting congregations is one that is grounded in history. In 1648, early settlers, religious refugees in the areas we now know as Massachusetts and Connecticut, described how their congregations would be organized. We've taken our cues from them, folks. They described how their congregations would be organized and how they would relate to one another. They believed that the organization of congregations was a theological matter, that it reflected what they believed about people, interdependence, and human relationships, and the divine. And what did they believe? My modern read tells me that they believed in equality, autonomy, and community. Some of the phrases from the Cambridge Platform, their document, that I have found myself coming back to again and again reinforce these views. Some of that 1648 language is, to our ears, a bit clunky. But I'm going to use some of it here anyways. They wrote, although churches be distinct, and therefore may not be confounded one with another, and equal, and therefore have not dominion one over another, yet all the churches ought to persevere preserve, rather, church communion one with another. They ought to preserve church communion one with, one with another. Continuing, we read about their definition, their vision of that communion, that relationship amongst and between congregations. They said, the communion of churches is exercised by taking thought for one another's welfare and by way of consultation one with another when we have occasion to require the judgment and counsel of other churches. They also said that communion also occurs by way of admonition, in wit, in case any public offense be found in a church, which they either discern not or are slow in proceeding to use the means for the removing and healing of, one church may admonish another, yet without usurpation. Another form of communion before, between churches is by way of participation. The members of one church occasionally coming unto another, welcome Guelph, so that they minister relief and succor one unto another. I believe knowing this history helps us to know something about ourselves, about each individual Unitarian or Unitarian Universalist congregation. In knowing something about where we come from, we learn something about our current situation. I read in the Cambridge platform, I read there an early description, an early version of my position description. In my work, I connect, support, and educate congregations. 
I educate, connect, and support their leaders. Your congregation, by being a member of the Canadian Unitarian Council, has, through the Council, taken on those same rules for yourself. And every other Canadian congregation does the same for you. What do we make of this abbreviated history lesson, then? If we are to honor the stories and ask, ask about the people behind them, we must ask, what does it all mean? How does this little slice of history help us to understand our journey? And what glimpses of our destination does it offer? So we know that throughout human history, religion has developed in relationship to the life of the people. Landmarks and seasonal changes are important in many traditions. We are aware of a dim resonance with ancient traditions, but they, for the most part, do not serve us the same way they did earlier generations. A professor at Carleton University, Peter Emberley, remarked in his book, Divining Hunger, or rather Divine Hunger, Canadians on Spiritual Walkabout, he said this, to be modern is to accept that self-determination, the liberty of private conscience, and personal experience will nearly always trump older ways of knowing and being. It is to believe that humans are essentially rational and autonomous. It is to understand that reason and science will trump ancient traditions. And in large part, I think this was the thinking that led to the founding of this and all those other congregations in the 50s and 60s. But increasingly, I have a sense, and I've heard from people, that people are saying, is that enough? Is that rational, autonomous, purely scientific inquiry enough? Indeed, there's an emerging awareness in our culture and our congregations that the understandings recognized by science and permitted in everyday life are sometimes too narrow. Here we are today, a group of people who are evolutionarily no different than those who painted on the insides of caves, and people who have a vast body of scientific information. The questions we are faced with now are like those faced by earlier generations. But now, given the secular nature of Canadian society, they may have a new urgency to them. Again, Emberley, in his study of Canadians and their spiritual journey, says that integral to most religious understandings is a critique of current society. He says that their spiritual searches speak to an idea of humanity and community as yet unrealized. That rings true for me. Essentially, what we do when we gather here is what people have always done when they explore religion and philosophy. They ask big questions. They ask, what's the meaning of my life? How can I lead a life of integrity? How can my life matter? It seems that we are in our spiritual, religious, and philosophical travels, whichever word you're comfortable with, trying to make our values and the world fit together, just as the authors of the Cambridge Platform did, to make our lives matter. I believe that what we're trying to do when we gather is what the early founders here and elsewhere were trying to do. They're trying to make sense of it all, trying to be good people, trying to foster a culture of openness so that we can live with dignity and generosity in the world. I see that this congregation and other congregations help people with that work, this work of being human. Sometimes that work happens in Sunday worship services. Sometimes it takes, an, takes place in adult and children's programs. Sometimes it happens when someone challenges the assumption of another. 
Sometimes it takes place with a hug or a casserole or a protest march. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it takes place in groups, in the conversation and in the silence between people. But I know, I truly know that from my personal experience and from my observations, that this important life-affirming work happens in the congregations I support. In my work, you and all the other congregations in Canada have given me a front row seat. And through the building of the relationships and from that front row seat, I've learned a lot. I know to the very core of my being that I have been helped and supported on my human journey. I am less sure of the clever answers I thought I had figured out. I'm more willing to listen to the religious perspective of another. I've learned to let some things go. I've learned that church isn't about me and my preferences, but rather it's about us holding space for one another. I have been encouraged to see hope when I didn't even know where to look for it. And in the process, I have been changed. And in the process, I have developed a profound commitment to building our congregations. I hope that this communion of congregations can help us all and all of our congregations to do the same. I don't know what congregational life is going to look like in the future. There's a lot of talk lately about how our congregations need to appeal to both the head and the heart so that we can appeal to older, typically humanist members and so that we can appeal to those who might be interested in engaging with us who are maybe a little bit more inclined to live in the unknowable place. But I can't help but thinking that head versus heart is a false distinction. No one of us gets to leave either of those at home on Sunday morning or whenever else we gather. We bring both and we bring more. We bring our whole selves, or at least that's my sincere hope. I don't know what our communities will look like, but I have some thoughts about what we'll do there, about how we'll feel. Brain scientists tell us that they have been surprised to learn that feelings and impulses like love, generosity, trust, and hope seem to come quite naturally to humans. We have learned, it seems, over the journey of evolution to cooperate, to gather in mutually supportive communities. And they also tell us that our brains become habituated. We learn by doing. We already knew that about playing the piano and riding bicycles. But now we know it's also true about our feelings. We, they tell us, act our way into our feelings. So when we gather in congregations, and when we craft the communities we dream of, we are also becoming the people we aspire to be. The particulars of this music, or that music, or pews, or chairs, of responsive readings, or any other specific practice is less important, it seems, than our working together to building relationships within and between congregations so that we can, in the long run, embody our values of inclusion, affection, and equity. Our job, going back to the reading, is to listen for the passwords, to turn our heads just so, so that if we sit in that in-between place, we might gain some insight. 
There's a song which can be done as a call and response, and I'm going to invite you to sing some of it with me now. I'll sing a line, then invite you to repeat it. And after we finish, we're going to sit for just a moment. Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? Where do we come from? Where do we come from? Mystery, mystery. Life is a riddle and a mystery. Mystery, mystery. Life is a riddle and a mystery. Sailing along in this gulf between Unitarian and Universalism as it was, and as we dream it might be, vital, alive, sustaining, and relevant for those who are not yet born, we find ourselves in strange waters. We are afloat in a diverse, modern, secular society, one that provides little support for those who long for mystery, majesty, and meaning. Our congregations respond to those needs, serving some as lifeboats and others as springboards. Congregations wonder how best to navigate the waters they find themselves in. How can we support growth? What would it mean to broaden our demographic profile? How can we offer sustaining and supporting ministry to more people? Many of you find ways to act for good in the world, yet there's always more we can do. There's more justice to be made, more love to be learned. There are still people we've not yet met who would respond to our affirming theologies. We don't yet know how easy our journey will be, and we don't know what will be needed from us in this work of the world. In a Jewish text, Ethic of the Fathers, the commentator Rabbi Tarfon writes, it is not granted to you to complete the task, and yet you are not free to desist from it either. We don't know how our living tradition will evolve, nor do we know who it will serve. We know that we are on an amazing journey of interdependence and that we travel together. We have many questions, many without answers about our journey. But I know, I know that we are stewards of a faith tradition that was given to us in partnership and in trust by those who have gone before. And that we have a responsibility to sail our ship mindfully, carefully, with intention into the future. I know something else too. I know that I am truly blessed to have you here with me on board our ship as we sail together. Thank you, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for letting me travel with you. Thank you for joining us for this Sunday service podcast from the Kingston Unitarian Fellowship. Please feel free to check back each month for additional episodes 
and if you're able to contribute financially to this community-supported enterprise, we would deeply appreciate your generosity in any amount.